So last week, if you remember, we covered uh, the issues in Corinth about uh, the Lord's table, uh, the Lord's supper, uh, that the church in Corinthians, uh, they had confusion and issues and I mean, they were getting drunk. It was just, it was just a big mess, and Paul addressed it. Uh, now, Paul seems to be addressing another question. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, uh, he uses that phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, and 8, verse 1. Now concerning, and then he says, now concerning. So what we think is the church in Corinth wrote to Paul saying, hey, Paul, we have some questions. Uh, we need some help. Can you help us here? So Paul is helping them out, and I think like the church in Corinth, uh, we oftentimes, especially need help, I think, in the area of spiritual gifts. Uh, it's often, this topic is often forgotten, I think, because as Christians, we forget that we are saved and made new and attached to a local body of a church, uh, not just for us, not, not to be consumers, but to actually give ourselves to one another. And we forget that God's purposes in the church that he means to accomplish, he actually accomplishes through us together. That's kind of the goal of this text today is to show that God grows his church through us together, through his gifts that he's given to us. So God has supernaturally gifted each Christian. Isn't that astounding? Every Christian you know, uh, you and the ones you know, you have been given a spiritual gift. It's not, it's not most of us. It's not the vast majority. It's every believer actually has a spiritual gift. So you are a supernatural person, not because of you, because of what the Lord has done. Uh, God has chosen that gift specifically for you in this time, in this church, with these people specifically. So it's very kind that God has done this for you personally. He's chosen it for you. It's not random. It's not just happened. He's chosen it for you. So therefore, there's no greater reality, I think, as a Christian than to belong to a local church because you recognize that we're all here in this time, in this location, for this reason, in this age, in this era, with these gifts together. It's a great reality to be a part of. There's a lot of things in this text that I'm not going to be able to really go through. I want to kind of actually tell you what I can't go through right up front, and then we'll go through the text. <clears throat> so a couple of quick things to uh, consider with spiritual gifts. Number one, uh, there are two primary, primary views concerning spiritual gifts. What I mean is this. Now, if you look in the passage, it talks about... Um, Gifts of healing, speaking in tongues, prophecy, miracles. There are two views people typically have. Uh, one is called cessationism, and one is called continuation. Cessationism means ceasing, right? So those believers would say that the, the sign gifts, like prophecy, miracles, gifts of healing, uh, those have ceased. They've stopped with the apostles, and they kind of just, they're done. Continuation would say, well, no, they continue, right? Maybe in different ways, but overall they would say if we still see them, then maybe it's not as frequent or they're in different ways. Uh, if you want to know what area I land on, I'm not going to say it in the sermon. You're welcome to ask me after. So there's a lot of tension, a lot of excitement. We'll talk about it later. Uh, I know you guys are all leaping out of your seats nowhere where I land on it, but uh, uh, that's not my focus of this passage. And number two, <clears throat> what is the best way I can discover my spiritual gift? I think there's two ways. Typically people like to fall back on like the spiritual gift inventories, those tests you can take. I think those are helpful in the sense that they're very simple. Um, you can probably just hop on the internet and type in spiritual gift test and find one. They're very general. It helps you to understand questions to think about regarding yourself. My only nitpick with them is they're not personal. So they're general to get you thinking and to understand, but they're not about, well, where's Kayla? What does he think? And they're, they're not in regards to the church. So I think the best way to know your spiritual gift is to be a part of a church and to serve. 
And oftentimes what happens is you realize, oh, actually, I'm kind of good at this, or I like doing this, or people around you will say, brother, you're actually really good. Why do you keep doing that? I think that's the best way because you, it's, there's real context, there's real reality, and I find that helpful. Lastly, um, these are not all the spiritual gifts in the Bible we have mentioned. We have Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. So Paul doesn't give all of them, but he does give a walkthrough. And I hope for this purpose today, he's going to show us what they are, their origin, and their main purpose. So I give you my sermon in a sentence. It would be this. Spiritual gifts are supernatural manifestations of God's spirit in every Christian for God's church. Pretty simple. So let's, let's, let's walk through the text. Look at verses 1 through 3. Uh, it, you're going to notice a lot of rhythms in, the, in this passage. There's going to be many and then one, variety and one, lots and then one. That's the theme of this passage. So first, we're going to see there's many different people, many stories, and there's one Lord. Look at verses 1 through 3. Uh, Paul opens up this new section again after responding to people who've asked questions, and he sets the table. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. He says he calls them brothers. So spiritual gifts are, uh, it's a family trait. If we're believers, we have the family name. Well, if you're, if you're a child of parents, which if you're a child, you have parents, you act like your parents. Well, because we're children of God, we're going to act like the Lord. We're going to act like one another, and we're going to all resemble our Lord in different ways. So we all have spiritual gifts as believers. And the greatest gift you can have from the Spirit as a Christian is, in fact, the fact that you are a Christian. Your conversion is the greatest gift that you have. Look at verse 2. Paul reminds the Corinthians that at one point you were led astray. You were pagans. You were unbelievers. Uh, if you remember, we've talked about, it's been quite a long time we've talked about the book of Corinthians, at least in the very beginning. Corinth was a very large metropolitan city. It was huge. Uh, we think there's at least 400 idols, like 400 gods worship there. So a lot of stuff going on. It was on a large trade route, so there are a lot of people coming in. There was the biannual Isthmian Games, kind of like the Olympics, but it's biannual. It's a popular city with a lot of influential people, speakers, different backgrounds, lots of unbelievers. So just go to your local biggest city. That's what Corinth is like. And Paul says, when you were pagans, when you were unbelievers, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. What Paul's saying is all of you in Corinth, all of you believers, at one point, you were all differently in different ways led astray. However, you were led astray. It may look different on the outside, but on the inside, all of you were led astray. There's not really a difference, but there is. And these gods don't speak. They're mute. So the Bible tells us this, that every person in this room, every person on the planet is created to worship. The problem is we don't worship the right thing. That's our problem. That's what sin does. It curbs you in on yourself. The Bible says that God is to be the center of our calendars. He is supposed to be our life, our joy, our sun, and our solar system. He's supposed to give us the most influence in our life to mold us into his image. God's also supposed to be the one who delivers you from your problems. He, he provides for you. He's your help, your strength. He's your identity. He is who you are as a person. Idolatry, then, is the exact opposite. Idolatry is when you love and choose anything else to be all of that for you. So many of you probably don't have like a statue of Patrick Mahomes in your closet. I doubt it. I mean, don't like test me on it, but you probably don't. <clears throat> but we all have things that we look to and that we treasure, that we love, that if I didn't have that, if I lost that, I would be nothing. Or man, when this goes bad, I 
I go to something, I need to be delivered from this feeling of pain or I need to be rescued from how I feel. And you run to something. That's your idol. That's what you love more. That's what centers your schedule. And the Bible says that all of us in Psalm 58, we all go astray from birth because of our love for sin. Look at verse 3. Paul says this. He says, however, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. So Paul says all of a sudden something changes. Something has been made new. The best of the Bible calls being born again, what we call, again, the Bible regeneration. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go to John chapter 3, starting in verse 3. This is the main passage we look to when we think about the idea of being born again. This is what Jesus talks about in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. I'm going to read you a brief section in John 3, uh, starting in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So do you hear what Jesus is saying here? Apart from the Holy Spirit, everybody in this room who's a believer, you would not be a Christian. Have you considered that? If the Holy Spirit didn't come upon you, give you new life, you would be an unbeliever. There's, no, there's just no exceptions to that. Being born again happens by the Spirit giving you new life. He gives you spiritual life. <clears throat> the first breath you breathe of being a new person is, it's faith. It's, it's been likened to, um, my wife loves to scare our children. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, it is kind of fun, uh, but she does it. And she's not done this, but if you've ever had to wake somebody up uh, in a very crude way, what you could do is you could get right in their face and you could go, wake up, right? And what happened? Right? As soon as they're awake, they would be awake, right? I mean, it's instant. What happens first, the yelling or the awaking? Well, it's almost simultaneous, but one certainly causes the other. When God gives you new birth, it is what's first, the new birth or the faith? Well, certainly one comes first, it is the new birth, but your first act of being alive is, I have faith, I, I understand, I love Christ. That's what being born again means. You're a new person, you're a new creature, you have new desires, you're a new man. And, and Verse 8, Jesus says, the Spirit sought you. Because we don't seek Him, the Spirit must seek us. That means that God is the initiator, and He's the one who saves us. And what is the mark of being born again? Look what Paul says back in 1 Corinthians. If you're not born again, you cannot say, Jesus is Lord. If you are born again, you cannot say, Jesus is accursed. Well, hold, hold, hold the phone there, Paul. I just said Jesus is accursed, so I guess... This text isn't true because he said, if I have the Holy Spirit, I can't literally say Jesus is a curse, but I just said it. Well, it doesn't mean that. What it actually means is, is your lifestyle. We know what Paul is saying. He's talking about your lifestyle. People who are actually born again are under new management. There's a new owner of a house because as 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And all of us in different ways have been bought by the same Lord. And there's something that happens in Christianity that's very common that we forget and we mistakenly believe is that you cannot split Jesus in half. 
It is not possible to have Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. It's just not possible. Jesus doesn't give you two halves of a sandwich. Well, you pick which one you want, and I'll, I'll no, no. He, he's either your Savior and your Lord, or he's not, right? It's very simple. The, 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 saved, the Spirit of you saves the whole of you for the whole Christ. So no part of your life is your own. All of it is Christ, or Christ has none of it. Imagine buying a, a brand new house. I wish Michelle was here because I would just point at her and say, this is, your, it's, it's, this is for you. But imagine you, brought, uh, you bought a brand new house, and you're, you're being shown the house, and they, a beautiful house, love these rooms. Well, here's the key. Great, the master key. Well, well I mean, the, the person would say, well, it's not the master key. I mean, it's like 95%. That one room back there, you know, that lock, you can't go to that one. What would you say? Uh, I beg your pardon, I bought the house. Well, I know, we know, but the owner wants to think he has some room here, and wants to come back, you know. What would you say? I bought the house. Get out. I, I should have the master key, right? Friends, this is often what happens in our misunderstanding of conversion. Jesus is either the master of all of your house, all of your rooms, or he is not actually the owner. Do you understand that analogy? If some of your life is hidden from Christ, perhaps he doesn't own it at all. Perhaps you're not a believer. The Bible says this very clearly. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live in this house, but Christ who lives in me. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. So is there an area of your life this morning where you recognize you retain control over and you do not bring Jesus into it? Do you walk in areas of obedience in most of your life, but in maybe one or two ways? Ah, I'm just not there. Only those who are truly born can say, Jesus is Lord. He's, he's master. He's boss. He's the owner. Those who do not have the Spirit cannot say because they show that they withhold part for themselves. So Jesus commands you to cut off your hand lest you go to hell with two. Release what you think you have as yours and repent. Surrender to him. Jesus is a better Lord. He's a gentle master. He's a good shepherd. The sins we cling to, he can actually conquer and cleanse you from. He won't crush you. He will conquer them. He takes your burdens and gives you his light burden. So have you obeyed the Lord in all of your life? Have you obeyed him in baptism? Do you obey him in your home? This is the things that believers do when Jesus is their Lord. And Paul reminds us here that this is the greatest gift of the Spirit, being born again, being made new, knowing that Jesus is your master and your Lord, that we all have this supernatural change. That's what being a believer looks like. And Paul is saying, we all did these different things. Now we're all one in Christ. That's what Paul is going for in the next section. Look at verses 4 through 7. So first, we all had many ways, one Lord. Now we, have, now we see distinct persons, but one purpose. So the first work of God in a believer is making them a believer. The second work that Paul is showing is that God also is involved in your life in a different way. Because we're all, owed, we're all owned by God, God actually works in our hearts. So the reality of salvation in this, being part of a Christian, the beauty of it is you have this idea of self-forgetfulness. I want to show you what I mean by that. Look at verse 4. You'll notice each person of the Trinity is mentioned in this section. Look at verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. So every believer has a different gift, but it's by the same Spirit. He's equipping the church, 
namely the Spirit gives the gifts. Right? We, we don't choose our gifts. I don't walk into Walmart and say, I want that spiritual gift. I want three doses of that one and give me that one on sale. No, the Spirit gives them to us. Every Christian then has a spiritual gift. We should see this as a great mercy. The God who saves you also equips you and provides all that you need. It's like if you were to be drafted into the military. They don't say, can you bring your gun? We're a little short. Can you bring your boots? What do they do? They give you everything you need to do the work that they command you to do, right? Well, say with being a Christian. He doesn't just say, be a Christian, then good luck. No, he, he fits you. He outfits you. He equips you for all you need to do to do the work of the Lord. John MacArthur said this, spiritual gifts are divine enablements for ministry. Characteristics of Jesus Christ are to be manifest through the body, corporately, just as they were manifest through the body, through the body incarnate. So we're supposed to mirror Christ together as a church as Jesus walked on the earth. That's the point. So the first focus of spiritual gifts I want you to hear is this, that we did not choose them, but the Spirit chose them. Therefore, we should have unity in the church over gifts. It's a great joy and a humbling truth that you did not choose your gift, isn't it? It's joyful knowing that God said, I, I want you to have this one. Really? Me? Cool. And it's humbling knowing, why should I get jealous of somebody else's? They didn't choose it either. I didn't choose mine. He didn't choose his. It frees us from even those things. So have you considered that in God's wisdom, you are, again, equipped in a certain way in this day, in this church today? This reminds us that these gifts don't come from our choosing, but from God's great generosity and his great wisdom. Would you find it insulting if you bought your husband or wife or children a beautiful necklace? Oh, I want you to wear it. It means a lot to me. Yeah, sure. And you just go, just throw it in the drawer. Never wear it. What would you think? I gave that to you. Why don't you wear that? That's kind of in a simple way how spiritual gifts are. The Lord gives them to us and we think, ah, I'll just put it in the drawer. We ought not be that way. We ought to display and ought to use our gifts, not despise them. So the question I ask you today is, are you currently using what has been given to you in obedience to God? If not, brother, let me plead with you to do so. It's such a joy to be part of a church and to serve in a way that you are gifted. And it's also for our good, too, for everyone else's good. <clears throat> Look at verse 5. There are a variety of servers, but the same Lord. So first we see spirit. Now we see Lord referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just look at verse three. It's very clear. He is the Lord of us and of the church. So churches will increase in health when we increase in serving the Lord and serving each other. Uh, this morning, Gary basically stole part of my sermon. I didn't call him out on it, but it's okay. Sunday school was that good. I was like, hey, we think the same way. Uh, all of our life is actually meant to be spiritual. Uh, there are no compartments. There's no well, part of this life is this way. Um, my faith stays out of that. I don't want to be involved here. This is just, just, just work. This isn't spiritual. This is work. This is just cooking. This isn't spiritual. This is just daycare. This isn't spiritual. The Bible is very clear that all of us, if you're in Christ, all of your life is unto the Lord. Therefore, as a church, if we pool our lives together, we can make much of Christ together. It's very simple. So the second reality is this, is that when we have the same goal and object of service in our church, we will find unity. And who is the goal? Who is the object of our service? Well, it's Christ, Jesus. It's very simple. So churches then must center their worship, our gathering, our praise, 
the acts of ministry we have fully on serving Christ because he is our boast. He's, he's our goal. We have no purpose but him, right? That's why we exist. All of our serving in the church is ultimately to make people happy in Christ, isn't it? Isn't that why you want to be part of this church? I don't really care what they think about me. I want people to be happy in Christ. That's what I want. That's why I come. That's what I want to do. That's our goal together. Doing so removes self-promotion, selfish ambition, unbiblical ideas, and helps us to center and gravitate upon the worth of Christ. So again, a question we have to ask is what skills and crafts do you have that can be wielded for the gospel? What are you doing to increase the growth of Christians here? Are you taking advantage of any ways that we have by which you can enable other believers to love Christ more? Are you doing that? There is truly an endless amount of things. When we have uh, Wednesday nights, when we go through Baptist men and women, we've talked about so many things where people, one lady was good at cooking. She liked cooking. She put on a cooking clinic for the people in her city who weren't believers. They learned how to cook, preach the gospel. Some got converted and they kept coming. That's how you do it. It's not hard. What are you good at? What ways are you looking at to serve the Lord? There's an endless amount of ideas. And in doing so, it encourages us and grows our faith too. And here's a perfect way for you to know, okay, Kale, I'm on board. I understand. What do I do? What a great question you've asked. Uh, this, meet, this week, we have one of our regular business or one of our regular member meetings. This is where we gather together and plan ways of accomplishing the mission of the church. If you have not come to them, you are not clear about what we are doing. We are going together to figure out what we can do together. And this week, as a matter of fact, I'm going to present a couple easy ways, some new ways that we've not done, I don't think, uh, to serve Christ together. And I would encourage you to come, or you're just not going to be aware of what's going on. You're going to be I can't serve Christ at all. Well, sure you can. Come to the meeting. And I can tell you how. Very simple. So come together with us. Come gather us. Come help us pray and figure things through about what to do and how to serve Christ. Verse 6 here, there's, now there's varieties of activity. You see the variety, variety, variety. But it's the same God who empowers them all. So this is the source of our strength. God the Father working in us, as verse 11 says, by the Spirit. This is another reason why spiritual gifts help you to forget yourself because God empowers them. So God gives them, they're unto Christ, and God empowers them. They really are not about us at all. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? Meaning, friends, that Christianity is not meant to be a spectator sport. I want to encourage you that as you gather as a church that you refuse to do nothing. Kill that. Oh, it's tempting. Put it to death. Don't come to merely watch. I'm not saying you have to sing every day up front. You don't have to do that. It's okay. But be a part of this. Come gather. Churches often die most of the time, not because of outside sources, but because of inside decay. Do you realize that? I think we all know that. It's just terrifying. It's not because people are more evil. I think yes and no. But it's because there's an inside just death. We need to gather together to, pre to prevent spiritual decay. And oftentimes when we obey God in these ways, he does bless you within. He really does. He takes care of us. He really does. So I would encourage you not to just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word as well. 
Perhaps you're being concerned. Well, what should I do? Okay, well, I'm not really doing anything. What should I do? Help me. Where should I start? I want to answer it with a negative question that will maybe help you. Here's what you should not do. <laughs> Let's say you see a need. So-and-so needs this. I should call someone to do that. Back up. You see a need. What should you do? Be the need. Go get them. Go help them. That's the best way we can serve together is you see a need. Go after it. Perhaps in God's providence, only you have seen it. Maybe only you actually know about it. And you just happen to know it. What a gift. Go. That's, that's the point of this passage is we've all been given different reasons, different activities, different desires. Go. So our church's greatest need is not necessarily more ideas or more planning, but more obedience, more zeal for God's glory. And then we can find unity together. And look at verse 7. This is the unity Paul is shooting for. The common purpose of, of each person in the church, each, each person in the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, working together in the church is for the common good. This is the ultimate blow to forgetting yourself in the church. Your unique gifts and service and gifting is actually not about us. Isn't that peculiar? So God has gifted you, but it's got nothing to do with you. Isn't that humbling? And it, crazy, an idea, what a crazy idea that is, but it's God glorifying. We seek to minister, to serve, to encourage one another in the church so the health of the church will increase and God will be treasured and loved more. So ironically, the more that you serve, according to your gift, the more that we think less about you and actually more about Christ. Isn't that amazing? The more faithful you are in your gift, we think, I mean, yeah, they're, they're all right, but I love Christ more. Look what they've taught me about Christ. Look, what, I see his love more. I understand his compassion more. Isn't that amazing? The more you serve, the less we, you fade into the background. That's kind of the point. So your obedience in the local church matters for God's glory and our good together. And your disobedience in the area actually it actually harms us, guys. It stings. It hurts us. So I want you to understand, I hope this is helpful. Your work and obedience and part of a church matters eternally for everybody here. America can go to hell. It can die. It can decay and burn. And I mean, you guys watch the news. It's crazy out there. Gather here. Encourage your brothers here. America is fading away. Gary told us this morning, is this our home? Not the least, but this is as close to heaven as we're going to get before we get there. So let's be invested here more. That's the point. That's what Paul is saying. Listen to this word from a guy named John Trapp from, well, he's dead. As usual, my fit people are all dead. But he said this, we are neither, we are neither born nor born again for ourselves. If we're not fit to serve the body, neither are we fit to be part of the body. They are not saints who do not seek the communion of the saints. So, brothers and sisters here, if, if you're feeling, man, I'm just not there, change that immediately. Respond in obedience. I would love to help you figure that out. The deacons would love to help you. Hey, what are ways I can serve? There you go. Or do you have an idea? We would love to hear it. Please be faithful in that area together. 
So lastly, number three is this, various gifts, one spirit. Again, I hope you've seen the many one, many one, variety one, variety one. I hope you're seeing the theme here. Verse 8 through 11 says there's a various gifts, but one spirit. So in this passage, five times Paul says the word spirit. So he's making it very clear. If you don't hear me, it's all the same spirit. That's what Paul's trying to, and that, that's his tempo, just spirit. It's the spirit. It's the spirit, right? Each of these gifts. Second, secondly, he recognizes a diversity of gifts in the actual body from the spirit. So we're going to walk through these gifts. Uh, maybe you're hoping, ooh, I want to hear about that one. I'm not going to give you a whole lot of info on these. I'm going to kind of just walk through them pretty briefly. Uh, if you want more info on them or a question about it after, please ask me after the sermon. But here are just some brief things on these gifts. Look at verse 8. The utterance of knowledge and of wisdom. So the utterance of knowledge, uh, simply the ability to comprehend a passage or a biblical doctrine well. Perhaps being able to even understand things quickly and easily. Maybe you think, man, is there a contradiction here? And you would say, well, no, I've seen Mark chapter 2 and this matches here. We're fine. And what I would say is, well, that's helpful, brother. I never saw that. Thank you for that. That's a gift of knowledge in this area. People who are gifted in this area are great blessings to church because they help teach, they help encourage, they help correct false teaching. They have a firm grasp on theology. They understand, man, what's the Bible say about prayer? I got 10 verses right here, locked and loaded, let me tell you. Like, they just, they know. They know their Bibles very well. Those are a tremendous gift, as all of these are. The utterance of wisdom, it's very similar, but it's a bit different, isn't it? We know that. The gifting of wisdom is excellent in putting handles on how to do things. Have you ever met someone who loves the Lord, who you just naturally gravitate towards for, for wisdom and ideas? I certainly do. And what would you do here? What do you think about this? And they just, do you just read Proverbs all day? How do you know that, brother? I'm just, I don't get it. And they just know, they, they just know how to figure things out. They're quick in these ways. They know how to give you insight and direction. The keen sense of thinking how to do something, how not to do something. In Mark chapter 6, it said Jesus was unparalleled in his wisdom in the scriptures. And Stephen in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6 as well, seems to have this gift of wisdom where he just, they, they have a good comprehension. They understand these things. Look at verse 9. Paul talks about the gift of faith. Now, all Christians have the gift of faith, right? We're given faith. We are being born again. We look to Christ and we love it. That's Faith is a gift. Philippians 1.29 says faith is a gift. Belief in Christ requires God to enable us the ability to do so. So Paul's not saying, well, this is, this is about conversion. He's talking about a different kind of faith. I think some believers, and I, and I know some, I've seen some, who have a unique dose of faith in the Christian life, meaning they just have a resting faith. Persecution comes, suffering comes, your friend can freaking out, they have it, what do they do? I mean, I trust the Lord. We'll be okay. And you think, you're a crazy person. How do you trust him right now? And just, I trust him. It's a simple, resting faith. The faith that we talk about in the book of James, that steadfast, it can move mountains, Jesus talks about. It's a simple trusting. We often see it in people who have a vibrant prayer life. It comes out very much in that way. And that faith to me is very attractive to see. It encourages me. It gives me joy. And like this faith, we often see those who are martyred in the faith seem to have this gift of faith as well, that they, they die well in the Lord. What a gift. Next, gifts of healing and working of miracles. So clearly in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts, I mean, this is just page after page after page. 
In Acts chapter 3, John and Peter walk by a guy who's been lame since birth, and Peter says, hey, get up. And the guy goes, all right, and just gets up. And he, he leaves up in the air, and he's, he's walking. Or Acts 19, uh, it's said that Paul could just touch a handkerchief. And they take it to somebody, and they throw it on the guy, and the guy gets healed. <laughs> What's going on there? Acts is, just, Acts is an astounding book, right? Or Jesus himself has healed various people, making the blind see and the deaf hear. The apostles also perform many miracles in the book of Acts. Peter raises Tabitha from the dead in Acts chapter 9. Paul blinds a sorcerer, an evil man, in Acts chapter 13. So we see just, whoa, this is, Paul's not just strong. The Lord's doing this through Paul. We just see these gifts happening, right? Verse 10, we see prophecy. So this, this word simply means, it literally means to speak before others. So it doesn't just mean uh, revelation from God, like new information, new foretelling what's going to happen. It, it means oftentimes to speak before people. If you look at many of the minor prophets, like the book of Habakkuk, for example, uh, they don't give a whole lot of new revelations, really just old things we already know that they're just reciting before us. So prophecy does, it can oftentimes mean new information from God, but oftentimes it means speaking before people, like preaching, like teaching. That's the idea. And chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is devoted to that entire subject. Verse, uh, verse 10 again, distinguishing between spirits so both the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 18 and the New Testament in Matthew chapter 7 and 1 John 4 and Galatians 1 say we need to be discerning. I mean, there are some people in this room perhaps who are helpful at saying, what that guy just taught, that's not exactly all right. Or no, no, brother, you shouldn't, you shouldn't go to that pastor. That, that's not a good book to read. I know he sounds good, but this is, this is, this is heresy. This is not true. They can just, they filter it very well. Some people are, are that way. <clears throat> they hear it's being taught and they can discern very quickly what's true and what's not. <clears throat> Verse 10 again, tongues, speaking, and interpretation. So again, in, in the book of Acts, this is the one thing I do want to be pretty uh, helpful on. Um, the gift of speaking in tongues, if you look in the book of Acts, chapter 2, is very, 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 very clear. It is another language, like an actual, like German or Spanish or pick a, pick a language. It's not a babbling. It's not a made-up language. It's very clear. It's an, it's an actual, real language that they can speak, and then people are able to understand it and hear the gospel. That's what Acts chapter 2 is talking about. And Paul is saying that some of you guys have the ability to do this in Corinth. They were able to speak and to understand on the spot, though they didn't know it. They could interpret it on the spot and know, the, know what's being said. Again, uh, chapter 14 of Corinthians is all about that as well. Lastly, this verse concludes with what? These all are empowered by the same Spirit who apportions gifts as He wills. So today, remember that God's revelation on spiritual gifts actually matters. May you focus on the God-centered. Do you see how these gifts are all about God? They're really about us. I mean, they're for us and they're about another, but they're really about God and making His church grow and encouraged and strengthened. So may we walk in humble obedience to the Lord in these areas, serve the Lord, enable those who need encouragement in the church to do so by God's power. I'm going to give you a concluding quote here, and then we'll be done. Sinclair Ferguson wrote this. When we exercise the gifts which Christ has given us, we are really saying to our fellow Christians and others, see how much the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and cares for you? He has sent me to serve you in this way. 
He is using my hands and my feet and my lips and ears to show his love to you. It is a tragic mistake if we think that the message is this. See what a superb Christian I am. See the wonderful gifts I have. Gifts are for service, not self-advancement. Is that good? Let's pray.